Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. It's June 2021. A man named Riyad Salameh is in the customs line at an airport in France. He's the central bank governor of Lebanon, and his private jet has just touched down in Paris. Customs agents approach Salameh and ask him how much cash he has on him. He says he's carrying 15,000 euros, which is what he thinks is the limit that you're legally allowed to carry into France. That's Raya Jalabi. She's the FT's Middle East correspondent, and she lives in Lebanon. She tells me that border agents search Saleme's bag, and 15,000 euros is not exactly all they find. They instead found it's 84,430 euros and $7,710 exactly in cash. And so the border agents obviously asked him to justify those sums. And he said he had simply, quote, forgotten that the cash, his own, was in his bag. Nearly $100,000 seems pretty hard to just forget about. A friend of mine's teenage daughter said to me, she's just like, I just don't understand. Like, how can you forget about an enormous pile of cash in your bag? Like, who does that? What piqued Rai's interest here is the timing of all of it. When Salima was stopped at the airport with all of this money, Lebanon was in the middle of an economic crisis. The fact that he could seemingly forget that, you know, he had $100,000 in cash in a suitcase that he had just forgotten about when when millions of Lebanese across the country was frozen out of their life savings. It really jumps out at you. I mean, it just shows you the sort of deep chasm between his lifestyle and that of most in 2021. I mean, he was jetting to and from France by private jet while most people were struggling to survive on, on $100 a month. To Raya, this was symbolic of all that has gone wrong in Lebanon while Salameh was in charge of the central bank. And since that day in the airport, a lot has come out. Salameh is facing a range of financial allegations, everything from fiscal fraud to embezzling $330 million of Lebanon's public funds. Several countries, including the US, the UK, France, and Lebanon itself, are investigating him. And while he's just one name on Lebanon's long list of allegedly corrupt government officials, the allegations against him are some of the most brazen that Raya has ever seen in the country. I'm Safia Ahmed from the Financial Times, in for Michaela Tendera. The world's longest-serving central banker, Riyad Saleme, has been mired in scandal since Lebanon's economy fell apart a few years ago. And the size of his personal fortune has raised many eyebrows. 
Today on Behind the Money, we're looking at the role Saleme played in his country's economic downfall and whether it can ever recover. Riyad Saleme was the governor of Lebanon's central bank, called the Bank du Liban, or BDL, for three decades. He's born in 1950, so he's 73, and he's often very dapper in a suit. Um, and he's always sort of looks very well dressed and very well put together. Before making his way to leading the central bank, his career matched his look. He was your classic suited-up banker working at Merrill Lynch. And it would ultimately prove to be a really important chapter in his life because it was there that he managed the portfolio of a wealthy Lebanese tycoon who lived in Saudi Arabia called Rafiq Hariri. That relationship with Rafiq Hariri proves crucial because Hariri becomes the prime minister of Lebanon in the early 90s. And one of his key appointments? Riyad Saleme, as governor of the central bank in 1993. Typically, the governor of the central bank oversees and controls the banking industry and monetary policy. But in in Lebanon, the law gives the governor extraordinary leeway over the bank's operations. And so some people I've spoken to who are experts in central banks say that it's unusual the degree to which he had control over the bank's operations. When Saleme takes over, Lebanon is in a dire place. It's just emerged from a brutal civil war that lasted 15 years. So the immediate couple of years um, after the war were deeply unstable, catastrophic in terms of its economy. It was not in good shape. But Saleme and Prime Minister Hariri have a plan for getting the country back on its feet. And that's to build an economy that's super reliant on foreign money coming in. They think it's a good idea because Lebanon's opaque banking system is very attractive to its rich Gulf neighbors who are looking for places to store their money. And that means, ideally, the flow of dollars coming into the country won't ever dry up. So to do this, Saleme and Hariri make a critical decision in 1997. But it's the first of two moves that ultimately sets the country on course for financial ruin. They peg the Lebanese pound to the U.S. dollar at a fixed rate, meaning about 1,500 Lebanese pounds would be equal to one dollar. I mean, the main thing is that it it sort of provides some kind of stability and some kind of rational expectation of of how the currency would fluctuate or not, right? So it makes trade easier. And though it has benefits, its obvious major downside is that this kind of system relies on a permanent inflow of dollars, which is obviously not the domestic currency that is printed by the central bank. But Lebanon has a pretty comfortable flow of dollars coming in from neighboring Arab states right now. So the dollar peg works. And Saleme is praised as a financial genius. Multiple industry publications even name him the world's best central banker. From that point onwards, from the, from the 90s into the first decade of the next millennium, Lebanon prospered and reconstruction really boomed. So you had major reconstruction projects, including downtown Beirut's complete rehabilitation. You had investment in, in big infrastructure projects. So everyone's happy, right? But what soon became clear is that the country was also living way beyond its means. And so government after government was drowning the country in profligate spending. So its debt to GDP ratio was one of the world's highest, averaging something like 150% for most of the past two decades. And that sort of lasted up until the mid 2000s, I'd say. And then you start to hit trouble again. 
Then, in 2011, war breaks out in Syria. And suddenly, Lebanon's steady flow of dollars from the Gulf isn't so steady anymore. I mean, it's nervousness about the war next door, but it's also just a political consequence of the decisions of Lebanese leaders to side with Bashar al-Assad's regime in Syria. Gulf Arab states take the opposite track, sort of breaking publicly with Assad. So they start pulling their money away from Lebanon. And, you know, I read a statistic recently that before 2011, Saudi Arabia had about a billion dollars invested in Lebanon. And today it's a little over 10% of that. So it just shows you this pretty, pretty rapid, actually, withdrawal of funds around 2011 and the fact that that's never really picked up back again. So for a whole system that was geared towards depending on these foreign inflows, you start to panic when this cash sort of stops coming in. Saleme knows something needs to change to get more dollars back in the system. So in 2016, he props up Lebanon's economy with a solution he dubs financial engineering. It's the second critical choice he makes that's setting the country up for an economic crisis. Basically, by offering artificially high interest rates, we're talking like 12%, Saleme made it really attractive for everyone to dump their dollars at the Banque du Liban. And at one point, economists estimate that more than two-thirds of all Lebanese bank deposits end up invested with the BDL. At first, it seems like Saleme's financial engineering is paying off. Another brilliant move by arguably the world's greatest central banker. Depositors are getting great returns, and Lebanon's economy is riding high. But Raya says under the surface, things are not well. The sort of simplest way to describe it is that, so the central bank was incentivizing everyone to deposit their dollars into the system. Then the BDL was using those dollars to effectively make payments that were due. And so that essentially points to this system that was never going to be able to pay back its depositors because effectively their money was being disappeared into the system. So the BDL is using those deposits to pay off government debt, meaning there'd be nothing left if someone went to withdraw their money. Economists say this financial engineering sounds like just another word for a Ponzi scheme. This system can't last long. It's completely unsustainable. And in late 2019, everyday Lebanese people are suddenly blindsided by the man they thought was a financial genius. It wasn't until 2019 when you had this sort of tripartite crisis, which is like a currency crisis, a banking sector crisis, and an economic collapse that people started to understand what had been happening. And essentially, you start to see some kind of fluctuation in the pound, and you see people start to panic. The government tries taxing its citizens extra to get more money back at the central bank and stop the panic. Most notably, they try to tax WhatsApp calls. But that kind of backfires and the people's panic turns to protest. And so essentially this collapse starts to compound. And by the spring of 2020, after months of uncertainty and a really drastic fall in the currency, Lebanon defaults on its debt for the first time ever. And so at that point, you see that the country is really mired in a very, very deep crisis where you have essentially frozen banks, you have a collapse in the currency, and you have complete stagnation in the economy. Lebanon's currency has lost more than 90% of its value. One of the worst financial collapses since the 1800s. Food prices have skyrocketed. The country is facing its worst economic crisis in decades. Millions of people's savings are wiped out. Inflation soars. Basic necessities are suddenly unaffordable. It becomes what the World Bank calls one of the worst economic depressions in the world. And all Raya could wonder 
Amid all this chaos, where was the world's best central banker? As millions of Lebanese people are getting locked out of their savings accounts and losing everything they have, Seleme is pretty much doing the opposite. He seemed to be faring fine. And people started asking quite a few questions about it because not only, you know, could you criticize him for allegedly mishandling monetary policy and the banking sector, but people sort of started asking questions as to why he was so wealthy, given that he was a a public servant. And his fortune catches the attention of investigators in a couple different countries who are curious where all this wealth came from when Lebanon's economy was doing so badly. So in 2020, there was an investigation that was started in Switzerland, and that triggered multiple more investigations across Europe and in Lebanon. Now, how much money Sademe actually has is a bit of a mystery. Publicly, he's always said his personal fortune is around $23 million. But privately, to investigators, he said it's somewhere around 10 times that. Raya has combed through documents from those investigations that paint a picture of how that wealth may have jumped so much. And essentially, it all stems from these sort of suspicious transfers that were discovered in Swiss jurisdiction that led to the uncovering of this scheme through which Saleme and his brother are accused of embezzling $330 million at least in public funds. Yep, you heard that right. $330 million in public funding. The government's money. And investigators believe it's all been funneled through a company called Fori Associates. The company is owned entirely by the governor's younger brother, Reja Salemi. And so European investigators allege that this company was the main vehicle through which Salemi embezzled approximately $330 million from the BDL between 2002 and 2016. And much of that was funneled into uh, luxury real estate acquisitions across European capitals in Lebanon and in the U.S., Raya tells me that on paper, this firm was supposed to be an intermediary between the BDL and commercial banks to buy and sell things like eurobonds, treasury bills, certificates of deposit. But Fori is more of a shell of a company than it is a legitimate enterprise. All of its transactions were either made to Riyadh Saleme, his brother, or offshore companies. And a French investigation found that Fori wasn't even providing any real services. So what's interesting is that more than two years into the probe, investigators have yet to substantiate that Fari had any activities beyond receiving money from the central bank. So they haven't found a list of clients nor employees. And even in searches of Fari's offices um, in Beirut, there were no employees, no fixed telephone line. There was no letterhead even with Fari's name on it. There was nothing to indicate that Fari was an operational company. And we couldn't even contact the company when we tried. Aside from Fori, investigators are also looking at how Saleme ran Lebanon's banking sector and whether his decisions as central bank governor damaged the country's economy. Many experts say that they did. Specifically, Saleme's decision to make Lebanon so reliant on incoming dollars by fixing the Lebanese pound and never changing it. Experts and economists say that this decision was really the catalyst for this meltdown because it meant that the central bank governor decided to sort of find creative ways of supplementing the the lack of dollar inflow that was coming into the country. So they, they do point to it as one of the most consequential decisions that led us to where we are today. And the financial engineering piece, 
where the BDL used depositor money to pay off government debt. That was just the icing on the cake. That that effectively was allegedly a fraudulent scheme, essentially. So that's what, you know, the World Bank and politicians and economists and, and even French President Emmanuel Macron has called the Ponzi scheme. But amid this storm of allegations that he mismanaged Lebanon's economy and siphoned hundreds of millions from the BDL, Saleme maintains he's done no wrong, as does his brother. Just listen to what Saleme said in an interview with a French news station a couple years ago. I don't think that you can blame the central bank for doing what it had to do to maintain stability and serve the Lebanese. So anyway, uh, my conscience is clear. The interviewer asked Saleme what he thinks about being compared to Charles Ponzi or Bernie Madoff. Well, uh, of course, uh, I don't think uh, I can match with Ponzi or uh, Madoff. They are much more brilliant than me. But we are, we are a central bank. We're not an, an investment uh, bank. Uh, the central bank has functions. It has to uh, put injections of funds or withdraw funds so to stimulate the economy or control the prices. And this is what we, we were doing. Saleme has denied all allegations of wrongdoing repeatedly ever since the first whiffs of, of any wrongdoing came out three years ago. He's claimed that Fari was a legitimate contract and a legitimate entity. And he also says that regarding his personal fortune, that he had his own money, which is all made legitimately from his job at Merrill Lynch and also through wise investing over the years. And so he sort of brushes off any allegations that he siphoned off public funds. Saleme stepped down from his role as central bank governor earlier this year, after 30 years on the job. He left as the world's longest-serving central banker ever. And he walked out in unexpected fashion. On the day he left office, he walked down to a cheering crowd. He had a sort of dozens of people meet him at the steps of the, the bank, applauding him. And there was a, a musical procession. And, you know, it was quite it was quite vivacious. It really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because he is someone who essentially is accused of all of these financial crimes and he wasn't leaving in shame. He wasn't even being discreet about it. He was applauding himself and and spoke a few words about how they had touched his heart and and how he was going to go enjoy his retirement. Now, you've got to remember that Saleme is not the sole person accused of fueling Lebanon's crisis. The country's government is rife with corruption and has been for decades. Saleme is just a cog in a much larger machine. For the last 30 years, you've had a political establishment that has worked together very closely to ensure the continuation of this kleptocracy. It is one of the most corrupt countries in the world, and it has been that way for 30 years. Riot tells me it's tough to tell if Lebanon's economy can bounce back. And complicating that even more is Israel's war with Hamas right next door. Since October 7th, Hezbollah, which is an Iran-backed Lebanese militant group, that's allied with Hamas, has engaged in pretty much daily clashes with Israel's military. And at first, everything in Lebanon stood still. No one was going to school. Jobs were, were sort of frozen. Like everyone was kind of frozen in fear, waiting to see if we were going to enter the war more completely. Important parts of the economy, like agriculture and tourism, that had finally recovered a little, fell right off a cliff. 
And Lebanon's government has had to focus more on this looming war, rather than trying to get the country out of this economic hole. Before the war, the general consensus was the only way out of Lebanon's economic crisis is to enact the economic and political reforms that are so desperately needed and that the international community has repeatedly demanded in order to unlock any kind of aid to come into the country. Even something as simple as reforming banking secrecy so you could stop having as much dirty money flowing through Lebanon's banks. But the political establishment has refused to do that over and over again. Essentially, this political class has been holding the country hostage um, because they've refused to enact these reforms. Rai says there are two outcomes for Lebanon's economy. And they are entirely dependent on what direction this war goes. Either the war abates and the economy can slowly start to pick itself up again, particularly in the tourism sector. Or what most people are terrified of is that the war will expand to a bigger regional confrontation and that could engulf Lebanon. Um, And if that happens, the main fear is that this time around it would be completely decimated and there would be barely any money for reconstruction because A, the country is broke itself, but B, none of the foreign partners will want to invest any money knowing that historically it's been used for corruption. But regardless of what happens next, the seeds of Lebanon's economic crisis were planted long before this. And Riyadh Saleme, he's now in hiding. When he first started out, some industry publications called him the world's best central banker. 30 years later, and things have changed. On the day he left office, one headline read, the world's worst central banker retires. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was hosted by me, Safia Ahmed. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco and Breen Turner. Special thanks to Vicky Merrick, Monique Mulima, Dan Stewart, and Michaela Tendera. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business... To a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.